0: A lot can happen in a year. A lot can happen in a year. Anything can happen in a year. Twists. Champions fell. Senors, help us! It turns. Opportunists capitalized. <laughs> the unforeseen legends were dishonored. Your career so, the unexpected superstars return. Business just picked up. The unimaginable came to life. A lot can happen in a year. Anything can happen in a year. A lot has changed in one year. But tonight, tonight, this is the bigger picture. Tonight is the culmination of a year's journey of a life's ambition of a career. Tonight, this is my this show. Is my desk. Sixteen and zero. I lay down. 15 and 1. I will make bad weather for big I will break your jaw this time. I'm the best fighter in the world. Tonight. 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 Welcome, everyone. Welcome to WrestleMania Salvation. My name is Sal. I am your host. And today, we are going way back to 2008. And we are going to be discussing WrestleMania 24 live from the Citrus Bowl. Now, this is the first time WrestleMania has returned to an outdoor arena since way back in 1993 for wrestlemania 9 i was excited for this when this wrestlemania first aired going back and watching it it uh it was it was pretty good it wasn't great we'll go through it we'll go through all of it but before we do that just to give you a little bit of a background on this event this event as i mentioned was held in orlando florida the attendance recorded was 74635 According to uh, Wikipedia, the Citrus Bowl's record-breaking attendance brought in an estimated $51.5 million, surpassing the projected $25 million. So this WrestleMania, at the very least, was extremely successful. Also, another thing to mention here of note, the actual stage and set, because it was being done at an outdoor arena, uh, was built over a period of 16 days and worked on by 100 people. The construction finished on March 29th, and truth be told, they got their money's worth. This fucking set was ginormous. You know Vince, if Vince's gonna do anything, he's gonna do it big. So, credit to Vince McMahon for that. We begin the evening with four fighter jets flying over an outdoor stadium with a fucking huge WrestleMania stage, as I just mentioned. Lillian Garcia welcomes us to WrestleMania 24. It's a little rainy today because, God forbid, it's ever sunny in Orlando, Florida. And Lillian then introduces us to five time Grammy Award winning John Legend. He plays the piano and sings a rather impressive rendition of America the Beautiful. So good on John Legend. The opening video showcases tonight's main storylines, including Ric Flair's career-threatening match against Shawn Michaels, Edge's chance to end the undefeated streak of The Undertaker, and John Cena's miraculous comeback from an injury to win the Royal Rumble and challenge for the WWE Championship a mere four months after a torn pectoral muscle. Match number one tonight is a Belfast brawl with JBL versus Finlay. Now, unfortunately, this match is happening because of the Hornswoggle is Vince's son storyline. In the aftermath, JBL beat Hornswoggle senseless and lets Vince know that Hornswoggle's real father is Finley. Finley is then wa- is then forced to watch Hornswoggle get the shit kicked out of him while being handcuffed to the inside of a steel cage. Confused? Well, so was I, even when I watched it in 2008. As the name of the match suggests, this match is a goddamn brawl. Kendo sticks, trash cans, steel steps, they're all utilized within the first two minutes. This, of course, includes unprotected chair shots to the head of both guys. I do stand corrected. It wasn't actually chair shots, but trash can lids, trash cans, anything that you could give somebody a concussion with, really. Even in 2008, even as late as 2008, we're still seeing this in the WWF, which is a little surprising, but to be quite honest... If Finley gives JBL a concussion, I'm not going to complain. At one point, Hornswoggle even gets involved and canes JBL across the back. It has little effect, but it did get a pop. Uh, JBL then chases Hornswoggle away. JBL catches him, slaps him, because, you know, anytime JBL can be a bully, it's good for JBL. Uh, But Finley sees this, snaps on JBL, and then slams his head repeatedly off the announce table. JBL eventually seizes back the advantage, and then just to be a fucking dick, he takes a trash can and full force tosses it at Hornswoggle, who's standing outside the ring. What a cunt! Finley responds with with beating JBL silly with the trash can lid, and then throwing him through a table. Finley goes with the cover, but somehow JBL kicks out. JBL then nails Finley in the knee with a kendo stick and then drills him with a clothesline from hell for the win. Your winner... Ugh. JBL. Because, of course, the bully wins this feud. Ugh. Next up... Jim Ross throws us to our special guest hostess for the evening, and it's Kim Kardashian. Thanks, guys. The atmosphere backstage here at the Citrus Bowl is so exciting. And speaking of exciting, coming up next is the Money in the Bank ladder match, where seven superstars will compete to earn a contract for a championship match. They can cash in at any time for up to one year. The winner of that match... It's going to be the same guy that won it last year. Really? Therefore, I will become the only superstar in WWE history to win two consecutive Mr. Money in the Bank titles, Mr. Kennedy! That match is coming up right now. I seriously hope that when Mr. Kennedy was getting all up in her face, it scared her from ever coming back to the WWE. Then again, with my luck, she'll probably be announced as the next Hall of Fame member. Match number two Money in the Bank. John Morrison versus Carlito versus Shelton Benjamin versus CM Punk versus Mr. Kennedy versus MVP versus Chris Jericho. So, a couple of pre-match notes. This match was originally supposed to include Jeff Hardy. Turns out, Jeff is suspended. Because, you know, drugs. Also, we get wallet change, Jericho, tonight. Surprisingly, he's the current Intercontinental Champion. I say surprisingly because this was before his ultra effective heel turn that happened later on in 2008. This Jericho returned to the WWE in late 2007 after a two year hiatus and to be quite honest was kind of floundering. His, his heel character that would come later in 2008 was a huge career revival for Jericho. So like I said, a little bit surprising to see him with the IC belt. Shelton Benjamin is doing his best Cisco impression these days with his new gimmick of the golden-haired gold standard. ECW's own, by the way, because that's still a thing in 2008. Don't worry, it's on its way out very, very soon. Also, MVP has been United States champion for more than a year. Good on him. I was a little bit surprised, but hey, when you got nothing else to do, might as well just keep that U.S. belt For a long, long time. Also in this match, John Morrison, and they call him John Morrison, is one half of the WWE Tag Team Champions. Here's the thing. They call him John Morrison. I know he's down in ECW. He's definitely not teaming with Joey Mercury, because he was Johnny Nitro when he was teaming with Joey Mercury. So, was this when he was teaming with Miz? Miz and Morrison, the Dirt Sheet, ECW, Tag Team Champs, maybe. But then where the fuck is Miz? Because he's not here. Turns out Miz was in a pre-match, pre-show Battle Royal. What else? We begin the match as every Money in the Bank should begin. And that's with John Morrison taking a ladder, ascending to the top rope. ...and doing a moonsault with the ladder to everybody on the outside. Holy fucking shit. Speaking of holy shit... <laughs> ...Shell and Benjamin tries to springboard off the ropes onto a ladder... ...but the whole thing collapses under him. And Shell needs it. Hard. To the point where the refs immediately run over to check on him. Like, four of them like, just circled around him... ...because uh, <laughs> it, looked, it looked pretty brutal. To Benjamin's credit, he does get up, but only to be hit with the GTS by Punk. And then to make things even worse for Shelton, he gets tossed later on. He gets tossed from the ladder through another ladder on the outside. I didn't misspeak for once. He literally landed back first on a large ladder that had been set up on the outside and broke it in half. Your winner for most dangerous spot of the night, Shelton Benjamin. Jericho then adds himself to the highlight reel by locking Morrison in an upside-down line tamer on top of the ladder. Google that shit. MVP is then able to climb the ladder with no one around, so he's clearly going to win this, right? Except for out of the crowd comes a returning Matt Hardy. Uh, Apparently, Matt Hardy was injured at the hands of MVP five months ago and, you know, as is typical, uh, has not been seen since. So the crowd pops pretty huge for Matt. He hops the guardrail, climbs up the ladder. This entire time, MVP could just grab the briefcase, but of course he fucking doesn't. And Matt hits him with a twist of fate from the top of the ladder. There goes MVP's night. Jericho almost wins the briefcase, but Punk meets him at the top, and they slug it out. Jericho tries to knock Punk off, but Punk, to his credit, kicks Jericho's knee out from under him while on the ladder. Jericho loses his balance and falls and gets his other leg stuck in the ladder. So while Jericho is upside down and struggling to get untangled, Punk reaches up and grabs the briefcase. Your winner, C.M. Punk. Now, as is the case with many, many other people that I've talked about on WrestleMania Salvation. I am not going to talk about them in the sense of their career as a whole, or even as how we feel about them today. I'm going to talk about how I felt about them at that moment. And at that moment, I clearly remember in 2008 being very excited for this kid, this young upstart CM Punk ...to be declared Mr. Money in the Bank. Punk would actually go on to have one of my favorite cash-ins later on... ...when after Batista beats the shit out of Edge... ...later on in 2008... uh, ...Punk comes out and cashes in at the top of Raw to win the world title. This night, this match... ...was phenomenal. As is typical money in the bank ladder matches at this point in the WWE um I really enjoy Punk winning I remember in 2008 marking out huge cause Punk won and I thought it was the right choice given everybody in this match at this point they did a good job teasing that it would have been Jericho or MVP neither could get it done and uh to be honest CM Punk looks like a fucking star by winning this He looked like a fucking star. It is now time for WWE's recap of the previous night's Hall of Fame ceremony. A nice little video package shows the latest inductees to the WWE Hall of Fame. Lillian then introduces us to Howard Finkel, so he can introduce us to the Hall of Famers, Class of 2008. We begin with Jack and Jerry Briscoe, then we move on to Gordon Soli Rocky Johnson, High Chief Peter Maivia, Eddie Graham, Mae Young, and before you assholes ask, yes, Mae was still fucking alive at this point. And the headliner for the 2008 Hall of Fame inductees The Nature Boy Rick Flair Couple interesting notes about The Nature Boy Uh, First of all He is not out there to bask in the glory of his Hall of Fame induction, his children are out there, because obviously Rick is getting ready for his match. His children include the late Reed Flair, that was a little bit tough to say, the former United States champion, David Flair... And Rick's two daughters, one of whom would be familiar to WWE fans today. Her name is Ashley, but you know her by a different name. You know her as Charlotte. And trust me, if you saw Charlotte on this night, the last thing you would think of is that she would go on to become One of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. Seriously. Also, it's a very rare occasion that WWE will induct a performer who's still an active roster member. It's almost like he won't be active for that much longer. Hmm. We then go to Todd Grisham, who is with Snoop Dogg. His role tonight is the Master of Ceremonies for, oh boy, the Playboy-Bunny-Mania-Lumberjill match. Couldn't make this shit up if I tried. Snoop says he's having fun and says he's really been getting along with Festus. The camera goes wide and... Tongue-drooping, Luke Gallows is standing next to Snoop Dogg. Can I just quit now? Can I just not do the rest of this? Seriously? All right, Troy says I'm obligated to continue. And he told me to fucking get back to work. So, we'll continue, I suppose. Then, Santino Morello shows up. And tries Tries to talk shit to Snoop Dogg But Snoop Dogg calmly just Grabs a ring bell And rings it So Festus can go crazy And chase Santino away And then Mick Foley shows up And says For shizzle And to have a nice dizzle That all legit happened Match number three: The SmackDown versus Raw Battle for Brand Supremacy. We're not serious with this shit, right? Two thousand eight. We were, oh fuck my life. Batista representing SmackDown versus Umaga representing Raw. AKA. We don't have a goddamn thing for Batista, but we need to get him on the show, so let's just make up some shit like we want Raw versus SmackDown. In the ring, General Manager William Regal and Assistant General Manager Teddy Long are out there to give the introduction to their guys. I enjoy this for only for the fact that we get William Regal calling Umaga, you manga, which is always fun and we also get uh teddy long just losing his fucking shit over batista because you know holla holla player by the way <laughs> as soon as the bell rings i don't know if michael cole's looking at something else or maybe he's listening to some people behind him But he literally starts off the match by saying, this is a big test for the animal, Boutista. Boutista? Really, Michael? Is that in your notes? Or is that a Freudian slip? Because the crowd is already starting to boom at this point. (laughs) Let me tell you how exciting this match is. Okay? I know for a fact that my fellow co-host... From the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Jason will definitely appreciate this. We get a trapezius hold. From Umaga to Batista. We get a trapezius hold in this match. Twice. (sighs) In 2008, mind you. Not even like 1991. No, 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 no. 2008. One pretty amusing side note. A good portion of the crowd is really anti-Batista. I mean, like, literally heckling him every time he gets on offense. Uh, Unfortunately for them, Batista wins with an awkward Batista bomb. Looks like he kind of almost lost him there. Very uneventful six-minute match. Your winner, Batista. Chalk that up under who gives a fuck. Seriously. Speaking of uneventful... Our next match, match number four, the ECW Championship, Chavo Guerrero versus Kane. Why Kane, you ask? Well, Kane earned his shot by winning a pre-show battle royal. I think they called it the soon to be known as the under the Giant memorial battle royal. Makes sense. Tony Chimo introduces us to the ECW general manager... Armando Alejandro Estrada. I seriously forgot he was ECW GM at one point. Now, I've always liked Chavo Guerrero. Always been a fan. But I would have rather seen him face someone with a little more athleticism than fucking Kane. Kane makes my point for me, by the way, by teleporting to the ring instead of actually walking down the aisle... And choke slamming Chavo to win the title. Your winner, Kane. This was an eleven second match. For a title. at mania. Shame. Shame. Match number five, finally. Something I can sink my teeth into. It is labeled, and it is correctly labeled, as a career-threatening match. Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels. Now, to give you a little background on this storyline, okay? At one point in maybe October, November 2007... Vince McMahon brings Ric Flair to the ring and he's celebrating him and he's talking about how great he is and how he'll always, always have a job with the WWE as long as he keeps winning as long as he keeps winning because he tells Flair the minute you lose you're done and you will retire for good Now, that seems kind of harsh, even for Vince. But in actuality, this turned into one of the best storylines of the year. Every match Flair had was must-see. And every match he had, had amazing built-in drama. That you couldn't just get with a normal storyline. So every near fall, every Raw main event, every pay-per-view, you as a fan really felt some at different points, holy shit, this is going to be Ric Flair's last match. Now, we all thought it was going to lead to Mania, but trust me, there were some opponent opponents on, along this line that uh, you were really wondering, how the fuck is Flair going to get by them? Including... Uh, Triple H, very recent to this night, uh, and that was actually a great match. If uh, if you have the time, seek it out. It was actually really fun. I believe it was on Raw. Now, WrestleMania, you know, of course, this being WrestleMania, definitely swayed the court of public opinion that Shawn Michaels was winning this match. I mean, it's Mania. He's facing Sean. But regardless of everybody assuming the outcome, every single person in at the stadium, every single person watching at home was dying to see how this played out. Oh, did I forget to mention that Sean has been playing up the fact that Flair was his idol? He initially refused to face Ric Flair. But Flair demanded that he fight the best, and he said Michaels was the best, and he was the best because he was Mr. WrestleMania, and he wanted him in Mania. We all know what an amazing storyteller Sean is, so let me tell you, this was a phenomenal program in the build-up. At one point, Sean even compares Flair to Old Yeller and says he's going to take him out behind the barn and put him down great stuff Flair and Sean both get nice long entrances with Pyro I mean it feels like a big deal and it should Flair's robe just like Bobby Heaney used to say back in the day $60,000 monsoon at the very least and Michaels come on He's Michaels. He's always going to have an amazing entrance. And he's always going to look like a million bucks at WrestleMania. Now, first thing I notice about this match it is much better paced than Batista versus Amaga. And yet, both guys in this match are over the age of 40. It's amazing. They came out of the blocks for this match on fire. And you would never think that these guys are in their mid to late 40s or early... Flair's case, early 50s. Actually, they're about to do... And and at this point, it will already have happened. Ric Flair's 70th birthday. Which means Flair is 59 on this night. 59 fucking years old. In 2008. God bless him for him to still be able to go. Like he's going tonight. And and to hammer home my point, Ric Flair does a fucking crossbody and actually hits the move. I swear I've never seen Flair even attempt a crossbody, let alone hit it from the top rope. Michaels then attempts a springboard moonsault to the outside. Flair moves, and Michaels lands abdomen first on the side of the table. Good God. Did that look like it hurt. Like I don't know if Michaels was supposed to jump a little bit more. And land in the middle of the table. And the thing would just collapse. But he landed right on the edge. With his abdomen. And the table did collapse. And Michaels just. Oh man. He just looked like it fucking hurt like crazy. <laughs> I just. I don't think Sean needs to do the second rope springboard moonsault especially not even to somebody but to the table it reminded me like when Sabu used to you know moonsault from the top rope through a table but there was nobody on it he just did it because he wanted the table to break difference being this isn't one of those stupid little wooden tables this is like those big giant fucking announce tables that Smackdown used to have so uh ouch (laughs) Also, uh, at one point, because Sean doesn't learn his fucking lesson, he goes back up to the top rope and hits a gorgeous moonsault from the top rope to the outside and actually hits Ric Flair this time. And mind you, he does it right in front of Ashley. I'm just saying. Maybe she picked up on that. (laughs) After the top rope moonsault, both guys barely get back in the ring before Charles Robinson counts ten one of those like nine and a half deals they exchange chops before Michaels nails him with a flying forearm Michaels nails a picture perfect elbow drop and he sets up for the super kick but as Flair gets up and as Michaels goes to hit him Michaels hesitates out of pity and Flair drops Michaels and locks him in the figure four sorry Sean you deserved it Michaels eventually reverses it, and Flair breaks the hold. But then, as Michaels tries to get up, Flair chop blocks him, and the crowd goes nuts. Flair then goes right to work on that knee. Flair locks in the figure four for a second time, this time in the center of the ring. And after some high drama, Michaels finally gets to the rope, and Flair is forced to break again. Flair goes back to work on Michael's knee, and that makes the mistake of going for a strut after he does a move to Michael's knee. He struts, he turns around, he gets nailed with a super kick. Flair barely kicks out, but HBK sets up for another one. HBK, it looks like he's determined to finish him off this time. But he gets tired of waiting for Flair to get up, so he tries to pick him up. And as he tries to lift him, Flair mule kicks him right in the junk. You yeah, had to see that one coming, Sean. <laughs> Flair then covers Michaels, but Michaels kicks out. Michaels locks Flair in his own version of the figure four. And the crowd is legitly nervous that Flair's about to tap. Flair, however, escapes with a thumb to Sean's eye, classic nature boy. Tries to roll him up, but even with a fistful of tights, Michaels kicks out. Another chop battle ensues, but Michaels connects with another super kick. Michaels gets up and goes to the corner, and he sets up for a third super kick. Flair staggers to his feet and tells Michaels to bring it. Michaels mouths the words, I'm sorry, I love you, and then knocks Flair out cold with sweet chin music. Michaels then pins Flair for the win. Your winner, the heartbreak hit Shawn Michaels, but the story is this is the end of the career of the nature boy Rick Flair. The crowd gives Rick a standing ovation as well they should. We're talking about a 35 fucking year career. And for him to put on this match at the age of 59 is nothing short of a fucking miracle. A true legend this would then this would become Ric Flair's final WWE match now would it be his final match period well let's just say it's ironic they're in Orlando for this match nevertheless great story great storytelling the crowd was fantastic they were with these two for the whole match they told a great story and I I loved it I absolutely loved this match there's a few. There's a a bunch of sequences I left out, and I tried to just to hit hit the highlights, but I had to give you that whole ending sequence uh, with the back and forths with the super kicks and the figure fours, because it just built the drama, like you know that Shawn Michaels is gonna do. That's what Shawn does. It is again, and I've said this before on this show. Shawn Michaels was a Hall of Famer if he never stepped back in the ring after his back surgery in 1998. What he's done in the WWE, the matches he's put on since he returned in 2002 have been some of my favorite matches of all time. Fucking seriously, guys. It's been a joy. As I'm doing this podcast, it has been a joy watching Shawn Michaels. Or re-watching Shawn Michaels, I should say. I uh, hear something, ironically, that's not a joy. And it's not a joy because I was really excited for the direction of women's wrestling after Trish fought Mickey at WrestleMania 22. Where they had great storytelling and good physical match. And a championship that meant something. But instead... Tonight... We're right back to the same old bullshit... Oh, and... I'm not stupid. I know that we're going to be in this bullshit for a while. For years to come at this point in the timeline. But match number six is the Playboy Bunny... Mania... Sorry. Playboy Bunny Mania Lumberjill match. It actually has competitors. Divas Champion Beth Phoenix... And Melina versus Ashley and Maria. Maria, of course, the latest WWE diva to be featured in Playboy. If memory serves me correct, the last WWE diva to be featured in Playboy before they went all PG. Lillian introduces us to the quote-unquote master of ceremonies, Snoop Dogg, who comes to the ring... In a Mercedes Benz golf cart. Good on him. Snoop grabs a mic. He gives props to the Nature Boy and then introduces the divas. Although not individually, he just says, Here comes a bunch of divas. He then announces Playboy Cover Girls, Ashley and Maria. So he brings out a whole division, very, you know. Matter of factly And then He gives all the attention To the girls who are in Playboy I don't blame Snoop for this I blame (laughs) I blame the old man But anyway Snoop introduces Women's champ Beth Phoenix Or as I mentioned Divas champ Beth Phoenix And Melina And they are unfortunately Accompanied by Santino Morella this is full-blown heel Santino, by the way. So expect him to get slapped by Snoop Dogg at some point. Also, I feel I need to explain Santino Morello. So a year ago, shortly after Mania, WWE was doing their European, European tour, and they were in Italy, and Santino was quote-unquote picked from the crowd to challenge Umaga And with the help of Bobby Lashley, Santino became the Intercontinental Champion. The Milan Miracle, as it was called at that point. Now, babyface Santino did okay for himself. He lasted a little while. But sure as shit, they turned him heel. And they turned him heel and made him one of the most annoying fucking douchebags of all time. So annoying, in fact, that he was storyline dating Maria until she got involved in Playboy and he tried to control her, so she dumped him. So then he started dating Beth. Kind of. This isn't Glamorella. Not yet. But we're getting there. So they had to add this whole thing to this Lumberjill fuckfest, too, that... Santino's like. Santino. (laughs) Now that's next year. Santino's like the jilted lover, I guess. I don't feel bad for Santino. He got to make out with Maria on TV. Fuck him. Now, to start this match, I will say the diamond in the rough for this match is Beth Phoenix. Her offense looks good, she looks dominating. And Maria, she looks really improved in the ring. Bless her heart. She's trying. At one point, in the middle of all this, the lights go out. And it's not pitch black, so it's not like The Undertaker's coming out early or something. It's just a lighting issue. So they go old school and put a spotlight over the ring to temporarily fix the issue. But the way this match is going, I kind of wish it just stayed dark, because I don't need to see it. At one point... Beth actually gets caught with a top rope bulldog from Maria. Maria almost gets the pinfall, but Santino pulls her off. Jerry Lawler then decides that enough is enough and it's time for a change. And he gets up from the announce table, goes over to Santino, and punches him in the mouth. And surprise, huge pop for the king. Beth then hits Maria with a fisherman buster for the win. So your winners, Beth, Phoenix, and Maria. They leave. Santino doesn't. Santino comes in the ring. He's yelling at Maria. I told you you were going to lose. I told you you were going to get beat. So then he turns around and gets clotheslined by Snoop Dogg. Eh? (laughs) Santino rolls out of the ring Or he scurries out of the ring after the clothesline What have you So Snoop helps Maria to her feet And then Snoop makes out with Maria As Santino looks all pissed off outside So I guess this means that Maria likes it doggy style. Match number seven. (laughs) It is the WWE Championship. Triple H versus Randy Orton versus John Cena. Now this match is really the tale of two injuries. Triple H missed most of 2008 with another torn quad. It was the other one. And Cena had been out since September because of a torn pec that he suffered in a match with Randy Orton. September, mind you. Like, late September. Like, their pay-per-view in September, okay? Tore his pec. An injury that takes at least eight months to rehab from. I think surgery might be even longer. I don't know the details. I'm not a surgeon. But trust me when I say that no one, no one expected John Cena to be able to return as quick as he did. So, four months later, we fast forward to the Royal Rumble, and the countdown clock goes to zero, and we get the number 30 entrant. goes on to win the Rumble Triple H feels he got screwed he shoehorns himself into the match and ladies and gentlemen we have our very first WWE title Triple Threat Match at Wrestlemania after the video package we see a large marching band on the stage it's funny because they're in Orlando but these band members are clearly wearing Miami Hurricane colors. But they're not from the U because they don't have the logo or the the mascot on their gear. It just the colors are dark green and orange. So I just couldn't help but pick that up. Now they play a little fight song and then they start to play John Cena's music. Cena comes out And he apparently also has two rows of cheerleaders and dancers on each of his sides as he makes his way down the ramp. With that entrance, what's the game and Randy Orton going to have in store? Well, not a damn thing. (laughs) Honestly. Both get their normal entrances like it's a fucking SmackDown. Jeez, that's fucking lame. Sorry, guys. John's more important than you. Orton, the defending WWE champion, uh, cleverly takes the title before the bell rings and clocks Triple H in the face, throws him out of the ring, and then they start the match, which I didn't think you could do. Thought all three competitors had to beat. Well, it doesn't fucking matter, really, because Triple H barely sells it. He sells it for maybe 10 seconds, and then he's right back in the mix. They keep the pace fast and really hard-hitting, which I do appreciate. We even get a nice double-draping DDT on both Triple H and Cena. Now, Jerry Lawler misses the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm talking royalties that would have paid his kids' lives ten times over. At one point... Cena staggering to get up and Orton's just crouching ready to to pounce and Lawler says Orton is coiled ready to strike like a cobra oh Jerry you were so close if you had just said Viper he would have had all of those royalties for years to come. Triple H breaks up this attempt, and then Triple H does Triple H things, which is usually when he's at his best. It doesn't last long, however, as Orton hits an RKO out of nowhere. Triple H immediately rolls out so Orton can't cover him. Cena locks Orton in the STFU, which gets a shit ton of booze from the crowd. Probably because John's application of the move over the years has always been pretty shitty. But also because they probably just hate John Cena. Triple H breaks it up and then throws Cena over the turnbuckle a la Ric Flair. And Cena locks uh, and then tries to go after Orton. Cena runs back into the ring after he gets tossed over the ropes tosses triple h outside this is just a game of toss back and forth i guess and then he locks orton in the stfu for a second time triple h breaks it up again and then tries to lock cena in a crossface cena shockingly i know makes it to the ropes they play the boo-yay game until Cena gets the advantage and hits Triple H with a five-knuckle shuffle. The crowd shits all over this, as well they should, to be honest. Hey, I'm a, I'm always a, been a John Cena fan, but I fucking... Ugh, I hate the five-knuckle shuffle. It's just... Meh. I understand the point of it. I just don't care when it happens. We'll say that. Uh, Cena goes for an FU, but Triple H counters it. And after a back and forth, Cena completely gets nailed with a spinebuster from Triple H. And then just to be a dick, after he spinebusts Cena, Triple H runs over to Orton and chop blocks him. Orton, who was just starting to get back in the ring, mind you. Dick. (laughs) Triple H picks up Cena and nails him with a pedigree in the middle of the ring. He goes for the cover, but Orton punts him in the head to break it up. Orton then pins Cena to retain the title. Your winner and still WWE Champion, Randy fucking Orton. Um, I completely forgot that Orton won this match. I actually completely thought that John Cena just won. Because John Cena always wins. Not only did he not win... Who the fuck knew that the very first person that was able to pin Cena at a WrestleMania was Randy fucking Orton? Wow. Uh, decent match, but it was pretty short. I mean, it only, uh, for a triple threat, I think this was like eight, nine minutes. Um, but like I said, I appreciate the pace and I appreciate the desperation from all three guys. Match number eight. This is going to be a fun one. It's the match that the whole world is talking about, except for they're not Floyd Money Mayweather versus The Big Show. Comically, whether it's the tail of the tape or when they actually show them in the video highlight package, Big Show is legit 4 times the size of Mayweather. It's pretty jarring. Of course, this gives Mayweather the excuse to come to the ring with about 10 people. It's his entourage, presumably. Uh, also, I forgot to mention in the build-up leading up to this feud, uh, Mayweather legit broke Big Show's nose. Whether on purpose or because he didn't hold back, I don't know. But <laughs> It was uh, its pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, Also, it does bear mentioning that Big Show is in phenomenal shape at this point. Probably the best shape he's been in since WCW. I mean, it's a waste against this big mouth loser, but, you know, it bears mentioning. This match starts out like any Leo Rush match would. The little guy uses his speed to avoid the big idiot... We've seen it a hundred times, and we'll see it a hundred more. Mayweather takes a break to get some water, and Big Show snatches up an Entourage member and knocks out another one. Floyd's Entourage did more work in this match than Floyd did, just for the record. He then grabs the first entourage member and chops the shit out of him which I thought was actually kind of funny and speaking of kind of funny he also at one point grabs Mayweather's hand and steps on it much to the dismay of the Mayweather camp they can't deal with with Big Show stomping on Mayweather's hand so they pull Mayweather out of the ring and say that they're fucking leaving this match is off. We're done. This isn't what this isn't what we signed up for. Is literally what I hear from these uh, these entourage members. Big Show chases after them as they walk up the ramp, and it's at this point that I recognize one of the guys as soon-to-be Nexus member Michael Taver. Well, how about that? Michael Taver making his WWE debut two years before the Nexus and getting tossed about 30 feet in the air into the barricade by the Big Show good job Michael Tarver good to see you here bro Big Show drags Floyd back in the ring and goes for the choke slam until another corner man nails Big Show with a steel chair Big Show no-sells it and choke slams him instead Mayweather picks up the chair and nails Big Show in the stomach and in the back Big Show tries to choke slam him. But Mayweather kicks him in the nuts. Mayweather then... Oh, mind you. Right before the match began. Uh, they mention on commentary that this match was made into no DQ. So Mayweather can do whatever the fuck he wants. And Big Show can do whatever the fuck he wants to Mayweather. So... Him hitting Big Show in the nuts is not going to get him disqualified. Him, him hitting him in a chair is not going to get him disqualified. In fact, Mayweather runs over to one of the guys that Big Show knocked out, who's wearing a chain around his neck. What's on the end of that chain? Conveniently, it's brass knucks. Mayweather rips the brass knucks off the chain, puts it on his hand, scurries up to Big Show, and clocks him right in the fucking cheek with the brass knocks. Referee Scott Armstrong then starts a ten count. Big Show does get conscious. He staggers, or tries to stagger to the ropes, but he can't get up. So your winner by knockout Floyd Money Mayweather... And just like with Trump last year, the crowd is booing. Did you guys really, really think Floyd was going to lose? You think these guys come in there with their brands and their boxing titles and their ultimate fighting championships just to fucking lose? Why? Why would they fucking lose? So, surprise, Money Mayweather won and made Big Show look like a big bitch. Next up, we go back to the ring and, ah, fucking hell, Kim Kardashian is back in the ring. And you know what? And the crowd rightfully boos. So good. Good for them. She gives us the attendance record. I already said it earlier. I don't fucking care. Get off my TV! Next, a phenomenal video package for Edge and Undertaker. Edge and La Familia A.K.A. Zack Ryder and Kurt ha- Hawkins, and Vicky Guerrero vow to end the Undertaker's streak. Taker responds by tombstoning Vicky. Makes sense. Post video, and we get a bunch of druids with a bunch of torches and a bunch of lightning, which must mean the dead man's here. Your main event for the evening for the world heavyweight championship Edge versus The Undertaker. Taker slowly slowly makes his way to the ring. Giant giant leather studded jacket. Full length leather jacket that Taker wears to the ring is uh pretty impressive tonight. Looks kind of expensive actually. And then we get the rated R superstar himself, Edge. Now, Edge instantly garners heat as he motions to the back and forces assistant general manager, Teddy Long, to roll his fiancée out to the stage. His fiance being Vicky fucking Guerrero. Edge then goes up to Vicky, and they make out uncomfortably. I'm uncomfortable watching it. It's gross. It's just gross. Vicky Guerrero making out with anybody is the equivalent to a drooling dog licking your face when you get home. But like someone else's dog. They are quick the commentators, Michael Cole and Jonathan Coachman, they are very quick to bring up that Edge has also never lost at a Mania. Now, I think Edge's record is either 6-0 or 7-0 at this point, so it pales in comparison to the Deadman, but they hammer home the point that Edge has never lost either. Now, I do like that this match starts off very fast-paced in our hitting, similar to the WWE title match. Although it doesn't keep that pace, it does slow down, it does get a little methodical. Edge tells a great story during this match as he continues to counter the Undertaker's offense. Anytime Taker goes for a signature move, Edge is there to counter it. Taker goes for old school, Edge counters it. Taker goes for a last ride, Edge counters it. Then he counters the tombstone, he counters the chokeslam, Hell, he even countered a flying clothesline. All while working over the Undertaker's lower back. I mean, I gotta gotta admit, it's pretty impressive. It's a a solid strategy and phenomenal execution. Edge gets a very, very close two count at one point after a superplex from the top rope. To the point where you really were like, whoa... Taker going to get pinned here. Now, Taker eventually, finally gets Edge in the last ride, but Edge kicks out. Taker goes for a big boot, but Edge moves, and he hits the ref in the face instead. With the ref down, Edge nails Taker in the face with one of the TV cameras. That doesn't seem very nice. Edge goes for the pin, but uh, surprise, there's no ref. Edge nails a spear, and referee Charles Robinson has to run all the way from the back, all the way down to the ramp. So, surprise, by the time he gets there, when Edge actually covers Taker, Taker kicks out. I know, I know, I'm so shocked. It's It's not because it took Charles Robinson 20 years to get down to the fucking ring. No, of course not. Edge then hits him with a second spear, but before he can go for the cover, Taker locks Edge in the Hell's Gate. With nowhere to go, and no chance at any help, Edge can't make it to the ropes, and Edge taps out. Your winner, and once again, World Heavyweight Champion, The Undertaker. The Undertaker, who is now 16-0. Taker wins the world title for the second year in a row, this time in the show's main event of the evening. Fireworks then explode from every area of the top of the Citrus Bowl. It actually looked pretty cool. Taker holds up the belt the way the Taker does, and we get one last highlight package before going off the air. This was crazy. This was a crazy WrestleMania. Uh, Ambitious. Fun. Not five star. Probably not four. But I still had a lot of fun. There was enough people here that I cared about. There was enough character work that was really good. And all in all, I have very little to complain about the mania. I mean, other than Kim. Don't, Don't put Kim Kardashian back on my screen again. For wrestling, at least. Um, match of the night, for me, this is an easy one, guys. Sometimes they just happen like this. It was career-threatening match, Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels. The drama the match had the whole time, the story it told, the ending, the send-off. I love this match, top to bottom. Easily. Favorite match of the night. Now, worst match of the night, it's a little bit more difficult. There's a couple different directions I can go. Chavo and Kane come to mind but I think the worst has to be the match that just couldn't hold my attention and I had to watch it in five different increments Batista versus Umaga first of all the reason that they're fighting is fucking stupid because as I've always said brand supremacy isn't a thing and in 2008 it still wasn't a thing so don't give me brand supremacy, that's garbage. But not only that, two trapezius holds. Come on, Amaga, you're better working than that. Why you gotta lock Batista down on the ground in that type of rest hold twice? Oh my God, the match was only like, like I said eight minutes maybe. It felt like 30. Uh, I just hate I hate the way these guys worked other than that, like I said, I I enjoyed WrestleMania for what it was. I loved Money in the Bank. Loved Shawn vs. HBK. I enjoyed the WWE title match, and I enjoyed the world title match, so I really can't complain about WrestleMania. Next time, we will discuss WrestleMania 25. I specifically said, said that because this is not going to be the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania, but if you listen to Michael Cole... You might not know the difference. Now, for WrestleMania 25, I will not be alone. But I will have a mystery guest lined up for this monumental episode. Tune in to this feed on April 1st to find out who it is. I encourage all of the listeners of this show to check out all of our great shows on the one and only Rundown Wrestling Network. Including... Nitro Mania, Hurry Up and Cruiserweight, NXT Revisited, and so many, many more. Including The Flagship, now approaching its 400th episode, The Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Check us out at rundownwrestling.com for even more bonus content and Every episode in our feed is posted shortly after it comes out on iTunes. From all of us here at The Rundown to all of you out there, I want to leave you with this tonight. Build a man a fire and he'll be warm for an hour. Set a man on fire and he'll be warm for the rest of his short life. And we will see your ass next time.